Here we are on this Sunday at the end of the season of Epiphany. It's Transfiguration Sunday. Remember, Epiphany started when we walked through the account of the wise men coming to see Jesus as a young child. The reality of who the Son of God is in flesh on that day. And they saw him as king. And on this day, as we look at the transfiguration, we see the reality of who that man is as God and his deity and his glory, all bright and shiny. And see, the, the place where this happens is very interesting as well. The time and place where this happens. Throughout the last few weeks, as we talked about the um, Sermon on the Mount, we were paying attention to where things were going on. There's a couple of places traditionally where we see the Mount of Transfiguration possibly happening, but it's really not known for certain. And even those places weren't really talked about until roughly 300, 400 years after the event. See, it's because it's that place that may not be so important. But where it happened, as far as the people that were there, the presence of the folks that were there, and the fact that it's up on a really high mountain, is really all we need to know about it. Because we like those high mountains. And if you're ever looking through Scripture and you want to find an important part of something going on, look for a mountain. Big stuff happens on mountains in Scripture. You can look at it from Old Testament to New Testament. When there's something big going on, when God has something to do, it's going to be on a mountain. Have any of you ever climbed up to the top of a mountain? I mean, even if it's a low hill somewhere. They're beautiful. You get up on top, you have a different perspective on things. You can look around. You know, I think of the people that climb at Yosemite and they get up half dome, you know, whether they went up the face and rock climbed or whether they took the trails around the other way. You get up on top of there and you can overlook a gorgeous and beautiful park with sights to be seen that not very many people get an opportunity to see. And you want to stay there. And the majesty of that view and the glory of that creation to be able to see all that is going on around and the beauty of God's creation below and you want to stay in that feeling. We like those feelings. We like ups, spiritual highs, even emotional times of being uplifted, of, of being full of something that makes our chest stand out a little broader, our head held a little higher, and we enjoy that feeling. We like ups. We don't like downs so much. Spiritual lows, emotional lows, depressing lows. We talk about those as downs. See, right before the Mount of Transfiguration, what was going on as Jesus was with his disciples in a place called Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi is north, pretty much as north as you can get just about in Israel. And it's a small town up there that was renowned for pagan worship. It was centered around the worship of the god Pan. And to get Pan's attention, really ugly things went on. It's a dark place. Even today, when you walk around it, there is a spiritual darkness there that is overwhelming. And that's where Jesus looked at the disciples and he said, who do people say that I am? 
And they said, oh, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist. Come back from the dead. So who, who do you say that I am? And we get Peter, right? Peter with the strong voice, usually the one who speaks for all the disciples, and he says, you are the son of the living God, the Christ, the Messiah. You are the anointed one. And Jesus says, yeah, blessed are you, Simon. Because flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but the Holy Spirit revealed that to you in faith. And that confession happened in the middle of one of the lowest, darkest places around. And it's not about a week later just about that we find Jesus with three of his disciples, right? With Peter, James, and John, he takes them up on a high mountain. Which Jesus often did when he went and prayed. He'd go find a desolate place, a high place, a quiet place. And he takes these three disciples with him. And it's interesting then to look at that as well. Because for anything to be true in the Jewish culture context, you had to have witnesses. And specifically, you had to have two witnesses. And so if you experienced something, you had to have two people along with you that could corroborate your story and be a witness to that story. So Jesus pulls three of his disciples up, takes them up to the high mountain. It starts to get a little bit late and dark, depending on which account you read in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. John doesn't record the transfiguration, even though he was there, but the other three do. And specifically in Matthew is the one that we're walking through now. But they're up there and he takes them up there and they're kind of regular or familiar with this cycle of Jesus pulling a few of them away to go pray and they go up on this high mountain to pray and they're hanging out there for a little bit and then all of a sudden in the midst of everything that's going on, Jesus, it's really bright, transfigured, glorified. Standing there with Moses on one side and Elijah on the other, which is funny because they don't name themselves in the conversation. So you'd imagine there's probably some conversation afterwards as they're walking down when they go, hey, Jesus, who was with you? They didn't have pictures to know what Moses and Elijah looked like, right? I mean, unless he had the tablets. But other than that, you know, there's some conversation. Jesus, who were you talking to? What was going on? What was the conversation? What were you talking about up there, right? But they're there in the midst of glory, in the midst of a little piece of heaven on earth. Now think through Peter's thoughts for a second. Peter, who just said, you are the anointed one, the Messiah, the one to make everything right for the kingdom of Israel once again, the one to bring us out of the darkness and oppression of all the nations that have overpowered us, and you are the one that's going to make things right and bring us into our proper standing amongst the nations. And now, six days later, he's up on top of a mountain where you see this same figure glorified, shining with God's glory all around him. And you can see Peter going, see, I told you, there he is. There he is. There's the one. There's the Messiah. He's the one that's going to lead us. He's the one that's going to take us. Now is the time that Israel is going to be back on the map. He's the one that's taking care of everything. God, it's good that we're here. If you'd like, we'll make a memorial, a tent, a tabernacle kind of thing for you and Moses and Elijah. We'll make three of them so that we can always remember this place at this time, in this moment, when the Messiah was here to make everything perfect once again, right here in your glory. How many times do you want to 
Reach into that glory. Stay in that glory. Reach up into that glory and hold on to that glory and not let any of the real world of anything else down below, anything around you, matter. But sit in the midst of that glory. To feel like you deserve to be in the midst of that glory. To figure out who's going to be greatest in the kingdom in the midst of that glory. Who's going to sit on the left and the right of Jesus in the midst of that glory. What do you think Adam and Eve wanted to do when Satan said, oh, you're not really going to die. You're going to be like God. Glorified. Knowing everything. They wanted to be in the midst of that glory. We often do that when we want to control something. We want to sit in the middle of that glory. We want to reach up into that glory, which really is nowhere that we have the right to be. If you read Luke's account of the transfiguration, he makes a point to say in the middle of Peter speaking, he's interrupted. I love it. God the Father himself, right? The voice from the clouds in the midst of all that's going on cuts Peter off. It says, more or less, stop. <laughs> I hear where you're coming from. Don't go there. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Remember where we heard that last? It's at the baptism, right? At Jesus' baptism when he said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And this time we have a little addition. Listen to him. Listen to what he has to say. And the disciples fall flat. They were fine looking at Jesus all lit up and glorified. They knew he was going to be there, but now all of a sudden the voice from the very Father of all creation booms in their ears and it lays them out flat on the ground. Have you ever been interrupted in life like that? When things seem to be going exactly how you expect them to be going to be, where the way in which you see it all playing out is exactly what's laying out in front of you, and it looks like a beautiful thing, and then God speaks in one way or another, and you end up flat on your face. It's a hard spot to be. And they're flat on their face from fear, fear of the presence of God as they know that they are not holy in amongst themselves, but they are sinful, sitting before a holy God laid out on the ground and hearing his words, speaking over them, not knowing what it means for this voice to be heard once again. And the thing that comes down in this moment is what's important. Because as much as we may try and reach up, Jesus reaches down. And he touches Peter on the shoulder. He says, Peter, get up. It's just me. I'm here. See, when we're down, it's really hard to reach up. But when we're down, you've got to remember that Christ reaches down to you. He's the one that lifts you up. He's the one that picks you up. He's the one that rises you up to take on the rest of whatever else is going on because you can't take it on all upon yourself and you can't take it on all upon your own shoulders and upon your own will and upon your own strength. But Christ lifts you up. 
and our sin as we're laying down before God in our brokenness, as we are before Him in confession even earlier this morning, as we're usually cast down in the midst of those moments, He reaches down and says, I forgive you. Now get up. He lifts Peter up. And one of the most amazing things to me that said on the way down the mountain, he says, that was amazing. Don't tell anybody. Well, don't tell anybody yet, right? Can you imagine why? Well, if they told everybody, what would everybody point to? Point to that moment where Jesus was in his glory up upon that mountain. They would sit in that place. They would want to go back to that place. They'd want to experience God back in that place. But we can't know Jesus without the cross. And he specifically tells them that. And he says, look, don't tell anybody until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Then you can tell the story. Then you can tell them about my glory. Then you can tell them about who I am as the Son of God to fulfill the law to fulfill the promise of the prophets. But you can't tell them until they've seen me die for them. More importantly than that, rise for them. To walk around again in the flesh. To live once again with power over death, giving the gift of life and righteousness. Then you can tell them what you saw. Because the mountain on top on its own leaves us in a place that we can never attain. Have you ever tried to go back to somewhere and experience the same thing twice? And maybe Disneyland it happens, but... You go back to a mountaintop you climbed in your youth. Go back to a place in which something was really amazing at one point in time. Go back to that place and you walk through it again and you kind of say, well, I mean, it's all right. It's not the same. See, Christ, like I said, comes down. He says, even though the experiences may not be the same, I am the same. I am the same Lord for you. I am the same Savior for you. I am the same Son of God who was shown in glory up upon a mountain but rise from the dead out of a tomb to walk along with you, to come from outside of you. Because when you think that your strength is in your own experiences or you think that your strength is in your own understanding or you think that your strength is anywhere inside of you, you fall flat and Christ reaches down and picks you up and says, here I am. Let me walk with you and talk with you as we go on about the rest of everything else. Christ is present with you from outside of you for your own good, for your own forgiveness. And bringing you strength and love that only a risen Savior from the dead can do. So in your lowness, remember that Christ is present, picking you up, holding on to you. Amen. We pray. Dear Heavenly Father, it's hard to think of who Christ is when we imagine him in the amazing glory, yet also see him in the depths of a tomb. Yeah, you lifted him up for us. You laid him in that tomb for us and then you raised him out of that tomb so that he 
would have power over the deaf, and then you give us so graciously and mercifully the same gifts of life. And you promise that. It's a sure thing, a sure and certain thing that where our emotions and our experiences may lead us astray, you promise something so beautiful and grand outside of us, life with you for eternity. We thank you for that promise that you pour over us in our baptism and hold on to us all throughout life so that in our death and that faith, you continually hold on to us and call us back to yourself. We pray, Father, that in our times where we feel distant from you, that you will remind us of Christ reaching down, touching our shoulder, and walking along with. In his holy name we pray. Amen.